obligations two weeks in a row. Uh, but as proof that uh, we are not between preachers, even though we've gotten this far down the barrel, um, uh, the reason he's not here is they are in the process of moving Shelley's parents here. So they're, uh, they're here for the long haul. Um, I want to uh, take a minute to thank those of you who have uh, prayed for my son Keller and uh, for our family in the last uh, couple of days. We got a phone call uh, Thursday morning um, from a, an unrecognized number in Fredericksburg, and it was a man that uh, was calling to tell me that uh, Keller had fallen off his roof. Uh, Keller is an internet installer for West Central Wireless, and he uh, lives in Kerrville, and he uh, gets to drive through the hill country uh, all the time, and uh, he was outside Fredericksburg and fell off a roof, so, but he's here with us this morning, and uh, he said he wanted to have a sign that said, I fell off a roof, and then I feel like I fell off a roof, so... Uh, so that's what's going on with Keller, but I do appreciate your uh, prayers. And I want to, um, before I get started with my thoughts uh, this morning, um, I want to stop and, and pray now. So if you'll join me. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this uh, opportunity to be together. Uh, we thank you for uh, the physical rain that you sent our way this morning to remind us of the spiritual rain that uh, you provide in our lives. Father, we do pray a blessing on uh, Scott and Shelley and their travels, and, uh, and we thank you uh, for calling us here and calling us your children, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So my task um, is to talk about missions, uh, but maybe not in the way that um, you're thinking. Uh, this month has been dubbed Missions Month uh, by the leadership of this church, and we're going to be talking about missions throughout the uh, month of March, but today is not what, uh, that's maybe not what I am uh, going to be talking about. Scott is going to pick up uh, where I leave off today. I have the honor to uh, introduce this series, the Go series, and he is going to uh, take it from here. I suspect that many of us have a similar idea in mind when we're in church and we hear the word missions. Um, we think of work that's being done, work that's being supported um, by a church in a foreign country, um, maybe by a single church or a group of churches. Uh, to spread the gospel, um, to teach the people there, uh, to make them into Christians, uh, or make them into that particular church's brand of Christian. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Um, for... And that may be where you are uh, today, and, and you may even be thinking about other kinds of mission work that happens in our local community. And we're going to talk about that some, too, later. Um, but for now, I have a different question. What is the meaning of mission? 
And what is God's mission? Well, according to dictionary.com, and who can be more reliable than dictionary.com, a mission is a group or committee of persons sent to a foreign country to conduct negotiations, establish relations, provide scientific and technical assistance, and the like. That's the first definition. It's not until the tenth definition that we get to a group of persons sent by a church to carry on religious work, especially evangelization in foreign lands, and often to establish schools, hospitals, etc. This church is involved in mission works like that, and that's what the video was about this morning. Both foreign and close by. That's not what we're talking about today. I think definition number four is appropriate for what we're talking about this morning. It describes what I see as God's mission, and that's where my thoughts are, and that's what I want to talk about. Definition number four says an important goal or purpose that is accomplished by strong conviction. But how do we know what that mission is? I think God has an important goal. And a, strong, and a purpose that is uh, accompanied and accomplished by strong conviction. But what is that mission? People have been trying to define that mission for him throughout history. Think of the number of wars that have been waged by people claiming to be acting in the mission of God or in the will of God. Even today, we are involved in wars around the, battles around the world where people on both sides are convinced that they're acting in the will of God, yet they are on opposite sides doing opposing things. So how can they both be acting in the will of God? Well, they can't be, and they aren't. So what is God's mission, and how do we know His mission? Then, once we figured it out, how do we live out His mission? To discover the mission of God, we have to determine what is the closest thing to God's heart. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I, that I know what is the closest to God's heart, but I can read and I can see what He has revealed to us over and over. As we recall, there was a time when God was in great fellowship with His creation. And we can remember that beautiful uh, scripture that sort of goes awry in Genesis chapter 3, where it starts out, God went to seek out the man and the woman in the cool of the day. That's a beautiful picture of God seeking his creation in a time of day that we all can relate to and enjoy. But then it goes sideways because he encounters them only to realize that they have committed the first sin and they have put a uh, giant rift between them and him. And it's not long, though, even though out of his anger and disappointment and frustration, he has to set them outside his fellowship and push them outside the garden it's not long before he begins to uh, re, uh, reconnect with people. In the void that grows up between God and people, 
things really got out of hand and really um, turned into such chaos that God was disgusted. And he wanted to do away with all of his creation. Well, not all, because he did find one man and one family. And he used that one man and family to do a massive reset and then repopulate the world. And then, later, he found another man. And from that man created a family that he was able to use to create his mission. You see, God really does have this great overarching mission that he refers to over and over. Doing just a little bit of research, I was able to find evidence of what I think is God's mission, which lately is being carried out through the church. Yes, through this church. I found 48 references to what I think is God's mission. Stated very plainly, that mission is to make true this statement. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, not all 48 of those references use those exact words, but 48 times they refer to that, that idea. Here are just a few of those uh, coming out of... Uh, the, from the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel eleven twenty. Then they will be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel fourteen eleven. Thus they will be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel thirty seven twenty three. And they will be my people, and I will be their God. From Jeremiah chapter thirty two verse thirty eight. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Now I'm not going to quote all forty eight of these references. But it goes right on through to Revelation. Revelation 21.3 Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Certainly we know how he accomplished his mission. As I said, he started with the call of one man, and from that one man created one family. You know, Abraham wasn't uh, some specially created person. He wasn't extraordinary. He was just willing to follow. He, by doing so, he was really the first person to have this unique kind of relationship in which God was his God and he was God's person. He humbly went about doing what he was doing, but letting God lead him. Again, he was far from perfect, and he got into some pretty uh, bad and sticky situations whenever he tried to do things on his own or act uh, by his own reasoning or by the reasoning of his wife. He caused all kinds of problems. But because he was still willing to continue following, God could eventually place that one family in an incubator in the lap of the world's wealthiest and strongest nation at that time. After growing that family over 400 years from 70, about 70, to a nation, 
and carefully working with them, he was able to develop a vehicle by which he could introduce the Messiah. Then, through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus, he saved the world. Now, that's a mission. That's an incredible mission. So that was the how, but what is the why? Why did he do that? Well, he tells us that as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says in part, God wants all people to be saved. Well, that's pretty plain. God's mission then is for all people to be saved so that we can be his people and he can be our God. But what is our part? Well, our part is to follow. For each of us to do what God wants and to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Then he wants us to join him in his mission to fulfill his desire that all people are saved. It's a pretty far stretch from the idea of a judgmental God that's waiting to uh, zap us when we do something wrong. Or to keep a long list of our uh, our mistakes to hold against us. Remember, right after um, the gospel in a nutshell, John 3.16, comes John 3.17. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So, once we have joined him in his mission, what do we do? Again, he directs us through his word as to what we should do. Paul tells us in at least two places, 1 Thessalonians 4.11 and also where we were in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we should strive to live quiet lives, minding our own business and doing our work. You see, God doesn't need us to save the world. He's already done that. He just wants us to be quietly doing the work he's called us to do. If he wanted us fighting crusades or standing on a uh, a street corner uh, screaming at people about this cause or that cause, he would have told us to do it. But he didn't. When asked what we should do, he tells us this. He has told you, O man, what is good. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 8. And from James, chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you see how this connects all the way through? My conversations with Scott as we were preparing to kind of dovetail, he referred to this as a trinity of righteousness because these three, the poor, the orphan, and the widow, are frequently mentioned together through Scripture. In other places, uh, like Deuteronomy, when uh, he was giving the law, God added a fourth in place of the poor. Some translations refer to the sojourner. We might use the word migrant. But God told the Hebrews when they harvested not to strip the vines clean, not to go over the olive trees twice, to leave some wheat in the corners 
of the fields so that the sojourners, the poor, the orphans, the widows could find things to harvest and would be taken care of. Okay, so how do we put that together? Well, it sounds to me like we do all of those things. We do our best to live quiet lives, minding our own business, and doing, and doing our work, but also we are aware that it's not as easy for everyone in our community, and we should humbly seek justice and mercy for them, especially those that Jesus would call the least of these when he talks about them in very uh, stark terms very uh, admonishing terms in Matthew chapter 25. Kind of, these are the things that you will be judged by. How did you treat the least of these? These are the people that Mother Teresa referred to as Jesus in his most distressing disguise. Surely you know a few. You know some who struggle to make it from paycheck to paycheck. You know some whose dads are nowhere to be found. Can you name a widow? Do you know a single mom or two? Aren't we still called to remember them, to take care of them, to care for them? We even have some examples throughout the New Testament of folks just like us. They were ordinary, average Christians who did, who did things uh, as an, that we can use as an example. Of course, we tend to, when we look at people whose names that we know and people that we follow through Scripture, we go to the big-name guys. But very few of us will have an experience like an Isaiah, I saw the Lord moment or a Paul on the road to Damascus event. That may never happen, but that's okay. What we do have the opportunity to replicate is what Priscilla and Aquila did. They continued their work. They continued their career. But now and again, they joined a preacher in his work. When they uh, saw a fellow Christian in error, they gently taught him as they did with Apollos. That was, that was what happened in my family. My first stepfather came to Christ because one very humble, dedicated, quiet couple came into our home and met with him and taught him gently. And through their teaching, he gave his life to Christ. We also have the example of Lydia. Now, by Luke's description of her, she was a seller of purple cloth. We don't know really what that means in our culture, but we know that that means that she probably was a woman of means. She had some money. We can, uh, there's an assumption here that she uh, maybe helped finance Paul's journey as he moved on from Philippi. Maybe she uh, helped to finance and contributed to the uh, church in Philippi. We don't know those things, but we do know because it tells us in Acts uh, chapter 16, verse 15, that she was very hospitable. She invited Paul and his group of fellow travelers to stay in her home. That's something we can do. 
Those are examples of things that we can do. And we are doing it. In a hundred offices and classrooms, stores and car lots, art studios and banks, hospitals and nursing homes, as well as, yes, our supported works in a community pantry and clothes closet, in an outpost on the campus of ASU, in a children's home in Katali, and a church and medical outreach in E2, and this preacher training school that you saw, we are doing it. We live out our lives always seeking, always listening, always doing what we can to bring people into the presence of God so that they can be His people and He can be their God. Most of you are already on board and doing this. Some of you maybe are not, and you're wondering, how can I join God in His mission? If you want to do that this morning, we're ready for you. We want to help you do that. You may be in need of baptism, as Bryce was this morning. You may be ready to uh, ask for prayer to get uh, on track and on board with God's vision. There are going to be people in the aisles, folks in the aisles, ready to pray for you. There are going to be elders in the foyer. If you want some more privacy, there will be elders in the foyer ready to pray with you. We want you to come and join God in His mission.